0: I mean, you know, I mean, my, minorities are so underrepresented in games, it's shameful. I mean, it's yeah. just, it is friggin' shameful. You know, 4% of game developers are black. 4%. Mm. Wow. You gotta be kidding me, right? So, you know, I, I, I think it is incumbent upon higher education, not just, not just an opportunity. I think there's a moral responsibility to fix this. And and when I say minority, I, they're underrepresented, like women. Women yeah. in professional yeah. esports, you know, women are basically not there, right? Like it's 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 an insane problem. And collegiate is where this gets fixed, because at collegiate, you know, the excuse you hear at the pro level is, oh well, you know, we don't have any high quality black applicants for our team or trying out. Like that's bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, what. Our job at Collegiate is to help build this stuff intentionally, Mm. right, to intentionally fix this. And that means not just in esports, but in video games in general, building game developers, people that work at game companies, people who are marketers in games, everything in the game ecosystem needs to get fixed this way. And HBCUs are perfectly positioned for this because it's virgin territory. Like this is just brand new. There is nothing but opportunity and you've got a sponsorship base that's itching to demonstrate their commitment to d
1: My name is Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to my masterclass. I have a PhD in education from West Virginia University. I have a master's in sport management and an MBA from the University of Massachusetts. I even have an undergraduate degree in sociology from William Patterson University. And currently, I'm the Global Scholar Practitioner at HBCU, Florida Memorial University. But I will also work for three of the largest sports brands in the world, Reebok, Champ Sports, and Foot Action. But I can't go anywhere without my Jordan 1s. Join me and my guests as we explore their rise to the top through adversity and challenges. It's time to help you find a hero in you. Welcome to my masterclass. Good day, everyone. Welcome back to Dr. Mark's Masterclass Podcast. I am here in Innovation Media Enterprise with my girl, Erin and Sia, always holding it down for me. Two amazing women who produce two of the best podcasts. They they produce podcasts and they are, yes, they're women. Yes, I said it, but they're dope. And I don't know any woman in the country that do what they do, but they're always like, Mark, don't say that because there are other women, but they're not dope like them. So I'm going to say it. And I'm also going to give props to my man, AJ, on the wheels of steel. Those that are listening to me for the first time, no, he's not a DJ, okay? He is AJ, like a DJ, but he makes me sound good. He's a sign engineer. Peace to that, brother. He's always doing well for me. And Jacob Miles, the RZA, the head of all of this, the man that made it happen. Thank you so much for everything. As you see today, I'm wearing my West Virginia gear. I got to represent Bob Huggins and the Mountaineers. Why? I don't just wear college material just to be wearing paraphernalia. I wear because I went. that's where I got my PhD from. So I got to represent the Mountaineers and Bob Huggins, the, the fifth all-time winningest coach in college basketball history. That's right. I said it. That's what I'm rocking. And on top of it, yeah, I got on my WVU pants, but I, you can't see it right now. But I got to cheer my Mountaineers. Also, I, I know that when I talk to these other two guests, they're going to have something to say about their schools too, but that's all, it's all good. Especially my friend that's at that University of Florida, right over left joint. See, I know about that too, my man. So uh, he's like, Mark, what do you know about right over left? I used to work at University of Florida. So I know a little something, something. And anyway, <laughs> uh, we're going to have some fun here today because we had a while ago, we talked about education, higher ed, e-sports and higher education. And that's something that a lot of people we shy away from. We talk about esports in terms of the the enormity of it and just the the buzzword esports. Ooh, but people don't realize it's only a sliver of the video game industry. The video game industry is two hundred billion dollar industry, and esports represents what six percent. Not to say that that's a small thing, but listen, there's so many things. There's so many different levels to it, and I have two of the brightest people in the country or outside the country too, in the world around education around this space, and. We had uh, Joey Garisiak on from Shenandoah to talk about the ecosystem and what Shenandoah is doing. There's a lot of great schools, UCI is doing amazing things there, Miami University. Obviously you have UCI, you have a number of other schools doing some amazing things, but I want to talk to these gentlemen today because they represent something totally different and they have two diverse backgrounds, one's in economics and got another brother in rhetoric writing. I mean, <laughs> this is going to be interesting conversation because I didn't know that about them prior to this. But first and foremost, I have, I call him Dr. Phil now, even though it's Dr. <laughs> Phil Alexander. But it's Phil, I- I'm going to let him tell you how you spell his name, but it's pretty dope. Dr. <laughs> Phil Alexander, assistant professor of games and co-director of Miami Esports, Miami Esports. And now here's the funny part. His door says on his door when you come by his office, it says does game stuff. So people that walk by the door like, oh, that cat does game stuff. I think I want to go hang out with that guy. Okay. And then on top of that, you also have the rizza and people don't know the Wu-Tang Clan reference. The rizza is the head. Okay. So, yeah, you got the head, the department chair of the Steve Michael Armstrong of Emerging Technology and Marketing and the College of Creative Arts and and Farmer School of Business. This brother graduated from Carnegie Mellon twice, a master's and a doctorate in economics. And he said, you know what? When he was at University of Florida, majored in economics as well. So we got an economist here and we got a brother by the name of Dr. Phil here who has a degree of rhetoric writing. I mean, that's pretty impressive stuff. I'm curious to know what they're going to say and talk to me about today. But welcome to the show, Docs. What's going on, brothers?
0: Hi, good to be here. Thanks for having us.
1: Of course, we've we've been talking for months, man, and I just no. I just want to say it's a blessing and an honor to know both of you. And one of the things I like about both of you is that you have a wicked sense of humor. You're not like the traditional educators that are out there, and and we just I love that about you. And what do you think? What do you think in terms of especially you, uh, Glenn, in terms of your long? You've been at the university over 27 years. What keeps you fresh and and uh, relevant? To these young students, uh, as they, as, they, as we evolve in two thousand twenty one, what keeps you fresh and, and and energetic and and just just dope to the students? How do how do you how do you keep that going after all these years?
0: Yeah, I, I think there's there's two things that I do. You know, the first is just naturally with what we teach, you have to do this, right? You have to keep up. I I feel really lucky. I've got colleagues who teach in history, and I think you know, oh my God, like the war of 1812 was the war of 1812. <laughs> it never changes. You learn it once like, and you're good to go, you know, and, and, and I never have that sort of stagnation. I'm like constantly having to hear about, you know, what is the next game? What's the up and up and coming piece of it? What do we need to be thinking about? So part of it is the preparing to teach and just engaging with my students. I think the other part of it though, is a personal interest that you know, the the evolution for me from economics to what I'm doing now is because I'm super curious about this stuff. Like being, a, I think of myself as an education futurist. Like I'm thinking right now about whether or not we should be doing augmented reality and extended reality curriculum. And do we need to be thinking about cloud gaming? I mean, the answer to all these is yes, right? And so <clears throat> part of the gig for me that gets me going is I get to think about, you know, where the puck is headed and and going there where, where it's going to end up. Right. And and that's, I, th- I think it's just a fantastic artifact of being in this space. Like economics definitely wasn't like that, man. It was, it was just mind numbing.
1: Well, what, speaking of mind numbing, you went to Carnegie Mellon <laughs> twice. What was that experience like, my man? Because a lot of people, they're not familiar with universities and the nuances of what schools do and what they're known for. But Carnegie Mellon is that 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 cerebral math engineering <laughs> and all sorts of, of nuances. there. What was that like being at Carnegie Mellon?
0: I mean, Pittsburgh's an awesome town. Yes, I love Pittsburgh so much. It's like a great hidden gem. Everyone thinks it's you know a steel town or whatever. Man, you have no idea. It's an incredible city. But well, you know, I got
1: I had to I had to go to Pittsburgh all the time to get my flights when I was in Morgantown because we had the full time airport. So
0: yeah, the airports the airports right there. So I love Pittsburgh. I loved Carnegie Mellon. But I have to tell you, like when you say, what was it like? You know, there's there's the old joke about the the two fish, the the young fish that swim by the old fish and the old fish looks to the young, the young fish and says, hey, boys, uh, how's the water? And the young fish says, what's water? Like, you know, (laughs) you don't if you're in it, you don't know what it is. Right. Like, so I was at Carnegie Mellon. I had no idea. I really didn't. I had no idea that it was a unique experience. And it turned out not to date myself here, but, you know, I was doing things on the Internet there when Carnegie was like an early node on the internet. And Mm. so when I came to Miami, people were like, you know what the internet is? Tell me about (laughs) this internet thing. What should we do with it, right? We just got it. And and so my career kind of turned towards all this digital stuff because I I was lucky enough to get into Carnegie Mellon, not because of any great intentionality on my part, to be perfectly honest. Like I thought I was gonna be an economist, and Mm. then suddenly all this stuff happened, and and the internet pulled me in that direction. So that's, that's in many ways, the, the best thing that came out of that experience.
1: You see everybody here, he just downplayed Carnegie Mellon. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I'm like, come on, dog. I tell people, you know, people talk about humility and I'm like, humility is when you downplay your greatness and your dopeness. We, we going to embrace our dopeness, all right?
0: We're going to do it. Yeah. CMU is a fantastic school, but you know, I, I, I can't. I can't get too excited about it because I think Miami University is an even better school. And so, you know, CMU is okay, but Miami, man,
1: that's top, top Carnegie Mellon. Like he said that. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so Dr. Phil, my man's in them. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your You went to two big 10 schools, okay? Michigan mm-hmm. State, IU. I love IU. One of the top, in my opinion, one of the top 10 most beautiful campuses. And I will put me Miami up there as well, because you got an amazing campus up yeah. there. What was that experience like? IU, Michigan State, and obviously Miami University. They're all three different types of campuses. What was your mm-hmm. what was your thought process and choosing the schools that you chose? But also, I mean, your background, your, your degrees are in <laughs> rhetoric writing. What t- yeah. tell us about that?
2: So coming out of high school, I I live in Indiana. I'm actually in Indiana right now as I'm talking to you. Mm. Uh, IU was the logical choice as an undergrad, so that was just kind of you know you grow up and everyone tells you where to go. So I don't know that I put a lot of critical thought into going to IU Bloomington. It was a great campus. I'm glad I went there. I was an undergrad in creative writing. So it was a good creative writing program there. But yeah, as my career trajectory started to form, I started teaching while I was at IU. They had a program for undergraduates to teach uh, first-year composition. And my mentor there, Edwina Hilton, was from Miami. Mm. And so as I was trying to figure out what to do next, she suggested that I apply to Miami. And Miami is actually closer to my hometown than Bloomington was. So Mm. it made good sense to take a look at it. And so while I was here, I actually met some people that were at Michigan State, which is how I ended up doing my PhD there. But yeah, it was kind of weird going from a Big Ten basketball school to a school that didn't have a lot of basketball at all and then to one that's completely basketball obsessed. So Mm -hmm. uh, I I really like the, the sports part of esports. I really have down from seeing student bodies over time. Yeah, it's uh, The reason that I ended up in rhetoric and writing is kind of because that's one of the things that I'm really interested in. Glenn mentioned curiosity before. Uh, the whole idea of rhetoric is like how things are put together, what is persuasive, what is interesting, how it appeals to audiences. And when I was going through, as was probably true for everyone you've talked to, uh, it's only been the last five or six years that there have been really a games programs, so to speak. And so I was doing all this work with games and online communication, and it just made sense that I fell into that spot. But I had the same experience, kind of like Glenn was saying with economics, just being a straight up like old school rhetoric scholar is incredibly boring because mm-hmm. Aristotle's never going to change. You know, Cicero's never going to change. That stuff's all the same. Whereas the stuff that we do, you know, like I had people walk up to me, I guess it's been five or six years ago now. They're like, have you seen this thing called Vine? How's this going to change the way we communicate? You know, how's TikTok going to change what we do? Mm-hmm. So it's it's always interesting to be pushed by what's happening now. And like the core idea of rhetoric always stays the same and works across all mediums, so.
1: Well, it's interesting that you both have an, a background in, in, in economics and rhetoric writing, and they both are two essential things that when students are learning about esports or learning about anything in school, they need to know, of, especially in business, they need to know about the, the economics of it. Obviously, you're teaching that, but the rhetoric, the writing piece of it is so critical. Of uh, Phil, talk to, talk to parents and especially young people about the importance of writing and presenting, but writing in terms of any profession, but when they're looking at going into a profession like esports or gaming or video games, what how important is writing in, in, in terms of how they present and how they communicate to whomever they're talking to?
2: Yeah. One of the biggest things that I see over and over again is I'll talk to students who quote unquote, didn't like writing in high school. Interesting thing that some of you might not know, not being writing professors, the most frequent thing I hear from people is they'll ask me what I do and they are like, oh, I don't like writing. And I always wonder, like, how am I supposed to react to that? Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's good. I don't like, what do you do? Banking? Yeah, that's terrible. But yeah, you, you hear that all the time. But one of the things that students don't realize is they'll come into college and they'll say, oh, I want to get that first year comp class over with and I won't have to worry about writing anymore. And the reality is the most important set of skills that you're going to build are your ability to write, then your ability to speak and your ability to present. I think the thing that students need most of all when we see our seniors, they learn all these amazing things in our program, but they have to be able to communicate that to someone else. And so if you don't know how to structure everything together, if you don't know how to communicate well, uh, if you don't know how to do, for example, a PowerPoint presentation that people can actually look at and understand and follow, if you can't build a slide deck, then there's all that stuff you might know that you'll never be able to communicate. And so I always advise people, if you don't like writing, Learn to like it because you do it all the time, whether you realize it or not. And you might as well master it so that you can use it the best way you possibly can.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, and, and bo- this question is to both both Glenn and Phil. Okay, so when you decided that you were going to build a program around esports, talk to us a little bit about what, go- what went into that and how much of your own personal backgrounds went into how you developed it. Because I know. I haven't I haven't seen your students, but I'm assuming that they're (laughs) that they're outstanding writers or they're because they're going to become outstanding writers. And they're really going to understand the business of of video games because of your two unique backgrounds. What went into play in creating this and why did you create this program?
0: So, you know, I'm going to answer that from the perspective of a game program as opposed to esports, you know, because I think I think those words get used interchangeably, sometimes appropriately, sometimes not. But. The, the cool thing about games as I don't even want to even call it a discipline, like as a, as a thing to look at, at a university <clears throat> is that to make a great game, if you reflect on what makes a game great, right? If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, like what makes Assassin's Creed a great series, the, the things you're going to start listing turn out to be almost everything other than game development, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's incredible artwork. Mm-hmm. It's an, it's an amazing story it's rooted in history right the narrative is so good they made movies out of it right it's the business models with the dlc's and the expansion packs and and you know free to play models like all of these things make great games making great games is not you know opening game maker or or unity and and actually building a game video games what makes them great is this kind of horizontal approach to understanding the game it's not about computer science only it's not a, if you can't write a good story i mean we can we can talk about some great examples of amazingly beautiful games in the last couple of years that have totally flopped because they had terrible stories even though they were beautiful and worked well so our approach from day one was how do we how do we sort of frame games as the liberal arts of the 21st century these are the skills you got to know like the writing, the reading, the history, the philosophy, the psychology, the business, all of the music, right? Game music, game art, all these pieces make for great games. And if you understand all these things, that's a set of skills that's totally transferable, even outside of games, right? They're all they're all really about, you know, how do you think critically and build things that are meaningful? And so we set about approaching the creation of our game program by integrating the entire university in that conversation and entire courses. And, you know, I hired someone like Phil because if we're not talking about rhetoric and writing, we're not making great games. Mm. And you know, he's perfect because he not only knows about that, the rhetoric piece, but he's been gaming his whole life, and he's super, super smart with the stuff. So that that's been Miami's approach to this is think think interdisciplinary, think broad, you know, and, and then develop this kind of liberal arts for the twenty first century.
1: Mm-hmm. And 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 Phil, what what are some of the the courses that you teach, and what do you what do you get excited about when you are communicating to your students? What are the messages that you want them to understand and learn and resonate with them?
2: I have taught a number of classes in our program, and really, what excites me is when students get excited about the idea of what they're going to put together at the end. Mm-hmm. And because I've gone so far across the spectrum, like I've taught our UX class. I teach writing for games. i actually created that class here. Kind of makes sense with my background. I teach three different esports classes. I have two more in development. But what is always consistent across the board is that students will come in, and it's kind of like what Glenn was just saying. When they think about making games, they think, oh, I need to learn computer science. I need to be able to code in order to make a game. And when you start to actually work with them and show them, okay, so say you go and code that, what are you making? Mm-hmm. And like someone will say, Well, I'm gonna make a, you know, I'm gonna make a first person shooter. It's like, okay, great. There's a thousand first person shooters. What is it gonna be different about your first person shooter? And then they start to go through that process and just watching it click when well, they realize, oh, okay, I have to think about the storyline that goes here. I have to think about how are these characters gonna be different than, you know, the original Doom guy? Like, what am I gonna do that makes this creative and different? And so as Glenn mentioned, um, I think I might be the only person on our faculty that's been gaming as long as he can possibly remember. But Mm. I've I've been like, you know, I've been like Mr. Nerd Gamer my whole life. So being able to watch students pull things out and they'll see something and they'll say, well, I wonder if I could find something that's like this. And, you know, I run over to the cabinet and grab an old NES game and say, look at this now make it better because that was made 20 years ago Mm. and you have access to new technology. So what can you do to turn this into something awesome? And so that for me is the really exciting part is watching students come into the program with all of this like intention to do something great and then to start instantly making stuff. And I think that's one of the philosophies behind our program that's really great is that if you look at game students who are embedded in computer science, they learn it the way you would learn an academic discipline. Mm -hmm. So they aren't really making things until the very end of their degree program. Sometimes it's their senior year before they really make something on their own. And in my classes, like first year students, by week five, they're making something. You know, they're producing things all along the way, mm. and so they don't have to wait as if they have to earn some kind of mastery to have permission to play with the tools. We come in and say, "All right, you're capable. Let's start making things, and then we'll build from there."
1: Are you? Would you? Would your program is it rooted out of the College of Business, or is it under two disciplines? Disciplinaries, uh, Glenn.
0: It's or- actually under everything is yeah, that it's a, under right. everything um, mm. that's very intentional our faculty are jointly appointed in all of the colleges on campus and we have labs on all the colleges on campus and this is just you know to your question about parents earlier like <clears throat> games the language of games is fast becoming just the language of culture mm. like you can't you yeah. can't see a commercial that doesn't have a reference to games these days and 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 you know my, my parents actually used the phrase level up recently like and i don't think <laughs> they've ever nice. played a video game right <laughs> like this this is just becoming the lingua franca of of you know the modern society and so again the importance of this isn't just to to have your kids make video games it's really to be conversant you know i te- i teach gamification that's one of my sort of areas of specialty and you know we're seeing game mechanics playing out all over the place, right? Mm. And outside of games, everything, all these things that we we get trained to use playing games as kids are now being used as part of the day-to-day life of our world.
1: Mm-hmm. What, now you and I, we, and Rod Chappelle, who's the, the Associate Commissioner of the Alliance, Esports Alliance for HBCUs, and we talked about this, about the way academia is set up now. Is about 80 schools right now, 81 schools to record that actually has an academic curriculum or has some level of of courses that are being taught at the university versus close to 3,000 schools that have actually video game clubs or varsity teams. I think there's 500 schools that have varsity teams where you're getting scholarships, but why do you think academia is so slow to embrace um, the culture of video games and what separates Miami U from other schools in the country, in terms of the things that you offer uh, to a student that's interested in this industry,
0: you want to hit that, bill? I'll follow <laughs> sure. up.
2: But yeah, I was yeah. I was over here thinking like, do I do I come out hard on it? I, I come on, just,
1: come come hard, dog. I, I guess I'll,
2: I guess I'll just say that like the harsh truth of it: people who don't <laughs> spend a lot of time in the academic space, moving the university is like trying to put the Titanic on the highway and switch lanes. It is Mm. very, very slow to get academia to go places. And particularly traditional universities like the Big Ten schools that I went to, there are things that are like information silos, so... For example, if you're training in English, which is what I was doing when I was doing my rhetoric and writing degree, I was the first person from our department to ever set foot in the communications building as a grad student, because that's where the games people were at Michigan State, and I needed to collaborate with them. And so you don't see a lot of integration. And for games, if you don't have that integration, your program just isn't going to work. You can't house a games program just in computer science and only teach them to code. Obviously, you can't put it in an English department where I came from because all they'd make is word games. You'd have just a whole bunch of stories. Everybody's turning in like five hundred so pages. I know, <laughs> choose your own adventure books everywhere. So the the whole idea of bringing games in, I think, has been uh, people have to figure out where it's going to go and how it's going to work, and then um, institutionally, sometimes that can be really, really trying. Particularly for esports, that has been really trying. Is figuring out where it's going to go, who's going to own it, who's going to support it, who's going to make sure that it can grow and flourish. And I think that's why it's been slow. But I also think that if you look at it, it's been like a snowball rolling downhill. And like the last five years or so, the snowball's really picking up mass and moving a lot faster. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think I think there are three reasons. I'll say quickly. So first, which Phil alluded to, is games games are not they're going to split up the the money pie. You know, there's Great lesson in life is you you always follow the money to try to understand why things happen. And games, games just as too, it it's it's too diffuse, you know, and, and so it's hard to kind of pull the money into one place. So that's one reason. I think the second reason is a general derision about games, right? So every time you can go back in history, every time a new media comes out, I mean, I, I think I don't mean to say we're the same age, Mark, you're obviously much younger than I am. Oh, but stop I, it. When we were young, they told us TV was going to melt our brains, right? Like it was it was, you know, it was Satan's tool that was going to just destroy <laughs> all of society. And every time there's a new media this happens and we're still going through a point where people just don't give games credit. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's they they think games cause game addiction, they think games cause violence, you know, and there's all sorts of research over and over again that show none of these things are true. But <clears throat> so that's the second reason. Then I I think the third reason though is out of fear that it's going to eat up some of the pie, so mm-hmm. esports, for example, I think has this great challenge that anyone uh, who is in traditional athletics is going to be worried that you know their their lunch is going to get poached here at some point, right? It isn't a coincidence that the big esports schools are these tiny schools, mm-hmm. and the big giant schools, right? The West Virginias, the the oh. Michigans, Ohio State, they are to even say they're late to the party is probably too generous, right? They may not even be at the party yet. Ohio State is. Because
1: you know Ohio State is, so they don't get yeah, mad at you. They are.
0: Ohio State <laughs> does. Uh, not nearly as well as we do. But that's true. But they, you know, it's 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 out of fear for those things, you know, that they're going to eat up some of the pie. And, and then in answer to your question about what makes us us unique, you know, we we were the first Division One school to have a varsity esports program. You know, we've got I guess now three different arenas across campus and mm. casting, a brand new casting room that we just built. We've got, we hope to be announcing shortly a significant amount of scholarship capability on with our recruiting. And we've got this game degree to match up with it, right? Our game degree got ranked by intelligent.com a couple of weeks ago as the number two game program in the country. Mm. Um, so we've got this great game program and the esports program. And then on top of all that, Phil and his team are rolling out an online master's degree in esports management. In Mm. in the esports management piece, which will be starting this fall, and that's going to be delivered on Twitch as well. And so, I think those are that. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) Phil's Phil's the man. My man. The man.
1: And also, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you had told you, Doctor Phil. You know, even Uncle Phil from, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But Dr. (laughs) Phil also wrote a book called Esports for Dummies. I mean, bro, tell us about that book. I'm still waiting for my copy. You're supposed to send it to me back in December. That's okay, you didn't get it? I was there. I heard I, him say yes, that. Yes, I want my esports I for dummies. I it in the mail. It didn't get there? <laughs> it didn't get there. It have, uh, someone, I think the mailman was like, I want I want to know esports too. <laughs>
2: possibly the eel man. The, I can't believe the mailman would steal the book. But I did send "What? I'll send you another copy.
1: Yeah. I I'm. I'm not, gonna, you're going to make me come out there because I, I need to see everything y'all doing because I haven't been out there since 2007. So I need to see this amazing the, the, the amazing things you guys are doing out there. I mean... I'm excited know, about like it, but I want to get back to the Esports for Dummies because, I, I mean, there's not a lot of books written out there, but that will definitely get your attention. Esports for Dummies. Tell us about the book and what was the motivation about writing the book?
2: So actually, the way the book came to be is that someone from uh, Wiley Publishing emailed me one day and said, we've been thinking about writing a, an Esports for Dummies book. Do you think that's a good idea? And I said, I think that's a great idea. And I said, do you have anyone to write it? And the guy emails me back and said, well, that was going to be my second question. (laughs) Yeah, well, sure, I I would be glad to do that. And so I think the the whole idea of the book is there's a weird position that kind of exists out there where there are people who want to talk about esports, but they don't know where to start. And the thing that happens if you jump into one of the communities is uh, getting, getting your feet moving without knowing anything at all about what's going on is really difficult because people will jump in. And like, for example, if you try to watch League of Legends Worlds, it was three years ago that they added a beginner stream because they realized that they were talking to people who knew the game intimately. And if you didn't know the game that well, it was a serious barrier to being able to watch. So they started doing that secondary channel and that's kind of, that's the audience that the book's written for. It's people who don't like you're interested about it, but you don't really know what's going on. And so it just really sets the foundation. And my hope is that people could pick that book up and, You know, it's it's put together so you don't have to read the whole book. You can pick a chapter and the individual chapters all make sense. They're not necessarily connected together. But anything you would need to know to get started, like what are these different genres of game? What does it mean to be a first-person shooter? You know, what does the word MOBA mean? Why is League of Legends so popular? And then moves into, okay, I want to stream. Here's how you get started. Here's the kind of machine you need to build, et cetera. And so the whole idea is if you grab it, it's kind of a version of the introduction to esports class that I do with our students, just kind of lower down even a a notch further because most of them have already played games. But It's just to give people a sense of how things work. And I think it's been pretty successful. A few people have told me they're using it in classes, which is really exciting. But it's interesting for me as an academic to write a book like that because it's kind of speaking a different language than what they expect us to speak. And it was really enjoyable to do. So.
1: You see, I got to throw a jab at there. You said a lot of people are using the book. I'm not using it because I don't have a copy of it. now anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But no, no, I know you, I, I feel you, Phil. I'm, I'm very grateful and, and privileged to know mm-hmm. both of you. But before we go further, let me kind of pause and let everybody know you're watching, listening to Dr. Mark's Masterclass Podcast powered by Innovation Media Enterprises. Aaron and Sia do an amazing job here. And also got to shout out my man, AJ on the wheels of steel for doing uh, the amazing job by really making sure that we sound great, and we hope that you're listening to us and watching us, and that we're sounding great to you. So, thank you, AJ. And uh, but again, let's let's continue this. Let's, he's got sound effects. I love AJ. it.
0: AJ, <laughs> AJ gets the applause. I just want to point that out. You haven't yeah. gotten the applause yet, but <laughs> AJ true. gets the applause.
1: Yeah, uh, you hear that? He, he's he's going. He he's having fun back there now. <laughs> so he gives some props. He go, He loses. He loses his mind back there. But I love it because he has this amazing background and infectious um, smile, and always one to do the right thing for us and and always makes us look good and sound good. And I want to talk to you a little bit more about if if you're if I'm a parent And my son or my daughter really is trying to find uh, a school that is going to provide them the ecosystem and and the background and understanding about video games and how it works and the nuances. What would you be saying to that parent and that student if you are recruiting them to come to Miami of Ohio? What 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 are what are what are some of the things that you tell parents as far as what who you are? what you're about, and how you can provide the right, I guess, the right resources and education for their son or daughter? That's
0: a great question. That's a conversation we have on a near daily basis that we, yeah. you know, we, we're, the student tours have already started picking up mm-hmm. post-COVID here. So it is, it is a frequent conversation. I mean, I, I think first and foremost, we talk about the importance of interdisciplinarity mm-hmm. and all that stuff we've already talked about here. So I'm not going to reference that again, other than to say that we we always lead with that because we think that makes for great game education. I I actually always talk about how hard it is to get a job in games because I think it's really important. A lot of, you know, a lot of schools are spinning up game programs because there's not a 17 year old on the planet that doesn't want to study video games. But, you know, headcount in the game industry has been relatively flat the last couple of years, you know, and so I think telling a story that you're going to come here, study games and go work, you know, at at Riot. Is not, I think, a very credible story to tell. So mm. I, I think it's important in evaluating a game program to to know that you're developing game adjacent skills. That's what we call them game adjacent skills. so these are these are game based skills that have applicability outside of the game industry. So if you know Unity and Unreal, you know you can work on the set of the Mandalorian, right? Mm. It, it's you you've got to just be able to think broader about what these skills are, you know and and the the story to parents is like, you know, help, help your kid. We're certainly going to help your kid. And I think other game programs do this too, but, you know, help your kid develop this, this game adjacent skills, have them get internships in these game adjacent industries. And then at some point they may be able to laterally move in. And, and certainly we've graduated students that have gone straight from here into to publishers, but you know, it, it's much more likely they're going to go in this game adjacent world. And I think that's, that's a pretty consistent story we tell. Bill, mm-hmm. is there anything missing in our conversation?
2: No, I was actually just thinking, I had a conversation with a student yesterday and one of the things that we were talking to the his uh, mom and dad about, we have a relationship with Procter & Gamble mm-hmm. and uh, the, the mother said, oh, Procter & Gamble and gaming? And I was telling that we just went to an event there. I guess it's been a little over a year ago since we've been in COVID. Time is very strange. But uh, the last time we were there for an event, we were doing some eSports info with them. And one of their development teams came down to visit with us. And three of the five people on the team were former students of mine. Mm. They were three of our game students out of a five-person dev team that was working on marketing and interactivity for Procter & Gamble. So, yeah, we do see a lot of crossover from yeah. students in our program.
1: Oh, wow. Well, here's, here's another question I, that, I'm, that I'm, I'm curious about. I know that one of the things that we've, we've talked about in nausea over the last few months is, is seeing a number of, 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 your, of our colleagues in universities that are now saying, hey, we have an esports program and we have a gaming program. How do, how do we as educators educate other educators from provosts and deans and presidents from around the country to educate them on the proper way of, of, of ushering in a program that's sustainable for them and not emulating other people. And wh- what, what do you say to them? How would you consult with them? And how do we communicate with those people that are just setting their students up for failure because they don't have the right infrastructure to create a, such a program?
0: Yeah. I was, sorry, go ahead Phil.
2: I was gonna say, I would say there's three things that I always caution people about. The first one is don't try to start too big because the number of programs will see, oh, you know, UCI has five teams, so we need to have five teams. Or Miami, we're up to six now, so we need to have six teams. You have to start with what you have, so don't try to grow too fast. The second big thing is making sure you have an actual place for the students to play, and that you have the network connectivity that they're going to need. Sometimes people don't think about that network element, but it becomes, as soon as you're competing, it becomes the most critical piece. You know, if you're computers can't connect at the right speed it doesn't matter if you have ten thousand dollar monster computer rigs if your network ping is 200 you lost already and then the last thing is there is an esports community on every single college campus Mm -hmm. and a lot of people will come to me and say well we don't you know we don't have teams to play this we're gonna have teams to play that and if you google them and see lol you'll find their League of Legends team. And so I always tell people who talk to me, like, how do we get started? I was like, go find the students. Mm-hmm. That's That was where we started. One of our students was the impetus to get this going. But there will be a critical mass of people who are doing this already. And make sure that you go to them and kind of get things started from there. And then Glenn can give you the more administrative side of it. Because uh, Glenn, we he had to do all that with us.
0: <laughs> you know, I- I have, and I don't mean this as a humble brag. Like I've, I have probably talked to presidents or provosts of universities about starting esports programs, you know, 50 times in the last six months. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it is a, it is an ongoing conversation, and and I think it's it's important to to have an esports initiative come from the top down that way, mm-hmm. because so much of what esports involves. Is different bits of the university. So is your marketing people going to develop an esports logo that's unique for your for your team? That's actually kind of important. And mm-hmm. you need those people involved. It's your, it's, you know, we do physical training with our e-athletes. And so we need access to training facilities from the traditional sports. Mm-hmm. So they need to be involved in it. Mm-hmm. And the fundraising people need to be involved to help raise money for scholarships and sponsorships and that kind of thing. So top down works best. So you're, you're kind of coming at it from both directions. Like Phil's, Phil's point is you're coming up from below, to make sure you've got the student interest and the focus, and you're coming from above to provide the resources to be able to do that. I think one of the big problems right now is we continue to reinvent the wheel. Like when I started, I reached out to the godfather, Kurt Melcher, and was like, hey, how do I do this? Right. And, and he had the first collegiate sports team in the country. I think we were the sixth, you know, and, and, and we continue to give back too. I talk to, to folks all the time about how to do this and do the same thing Kurt did for us. But at some point, we need to institutionalize this. You know, we're, we're working, Miami's working with UCI and Utah and a handful of the other schools to try to at least get all of that knowledge in a single place and put it all together to be accessible so that there's at least a set of standards. Because to your point, Mark, like, I, I think some provosts and presidents underfund this. They don't invest in it enough. They don't take it seriously enough. And mm-hmm. I think there needs to be sort of an accepted standard where we all have gotten together. You know, we all get in the room and, you know, Mark and I are up at a whiteboard and we're saying, you know, what, what is, what is a minimum performance standard like GPAs, right? You know, what about eligibility? What about recruiting? How much money are you going to put into it? Like an arena... Isn't just a computer lab. Mm-hmm. It's it's something else. And mm-hmm. it often gets treated as just a computer lab. And relative to what traditional sports get funded, you know, esports just gets screwed constantly. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we had more people watch our national championship game in League of Legends and the, the NACE championship. More people on our campus watch that, or well, more people watch that, I should say, than went to every single football game all year long combined.
1: Wow. Am I right? at a university?
0: Yes, yeah. wow. and, and that probably says something more about our football team than our yeah, sports <laughs>
1: team. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you got a, you have a great hockey program, so does that... Uh, same? Yeah, our hockey
0: team, yeah. yeah. And our football team, you know, Ben Roethlisberger gotten, went here, man. Um, and they've
2: gotten better since that year.
0: So, but, you know, <laughs> if budgets followed eyeballs, things would look really different, mm-hmm. you know? And so there needs to be commitment and investment on the part of the administration for this kind of thing. You can't just do this on a shoestring and think you got a bunch of student clubs because students come and go, right? They're only there for four years on a good day, mm-hmm. and so you know you can't build it around that. You've got to build it around infrastructure that you invest in.
1: Well, here, here's the other. The other thing is I'm curious about is we talked about you know having a standard, and obviously me being at a predominantly HB, an HBCU, a predominantly black college, you know, there's this, there's there's always this uh, conversation that. At HBCUs, they're underfunded. They don't have the infrastructure. There's, and that's not the case all the time. I came to Florida Memorial University on purpose. Most people said, with your background in esports and video games and entertainment and marketing, why would you go to an HBCU? I said, why not? Why not? Because exactly. there's, there are not people there that are, that are dedicated to this area. And so I need to do that. And you don't have to be black to do that. Anyone could come to an HBCU to do it. And it's not even about being at an HBCU, even underserved schools, period, whether they're community colleges, whether they are predominantly small white colleges or whatever schools they are. If you have the knowledge and resources and wherewithal to do it, do it. They made a commitment to me. They have a grant for the next five years that I'm on. And so when I saw that, I had nine offers from nine different schools, from Clemson from Dartmouth, from at Harvard, I was at LSU, St. Thomas University, which is down the street, and I didn't blink. I said, okay, I'm coming to an HBCU because I looked at just the the, the optics during the time of of, of the of the pandemic when George Floyd was murdered, when Breonna Taylor was murdered. I said, young black kids need to see somebody that looks like them that can actually help them get to this point. And there was only 20% black men at that campus. And I said, where are the black men at? If I can use my background in entertainment and sports and video games to get their excitement, then that's where I need to be there, and that's why I chose an HBCU. So I'm curious to know, Glenn and and Phil, because we, we talked about this, and I know um, that you both are champions of HBCUs and you're big on DNI. What 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 message can you would would you give to HBCU leadership and presidents and provosts in terms of you know the the standard a standard even though the standard at your school might be different would it be the same standard and what kind of resources do you think that HBCUs need to have that maybe some of the other schools like your school that may have more resources have what, what what message would you give to those administrators that are slow to the game as well? Like many of our, of our white counterparts at other schools, what advice would you give them in terms of what, what best practices could be?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, my minorities are so underrepresented in games. It's shameful. I mean, it's yeah. just, it is friggin' shameful. You know, four percent of game developers are black. Four percent. Mm. Wow. You gotta be kidding me, right? So, you know, I, I I think it is incumbent upon higher education not just not just an opportunity. I think there's a moral responsibility to fix this. And and w- when I say minority, I, they're underrepresented. Like women. Women yeah. in professional yeah. esports. You know, women are basically not there, right? Like it's. It's it's an insane problem. And Collegiate is where this gets fixed. Because at Collegiate, you know, the excuse you hear at the pro level is, oh, well, you know, we don't have any high quality black applicants for our team or trying out. Like, that's bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, what our job at Collegiate is to help build this stuff intentionally, mm. right? To intentionally fix this. And that means not just in esports, but in video games in general, building game developers people that work at game companies, people who are marketers in games, everything in the game ecosystem needs to get fixed this way. And HBCUs are perfectly positioned for this because it's virgin territory. Like this is just brand new. There is nothing but opportunity. And you've got a sponsorship base that's itching to demonstrate their commitment to d And so you've got, you know, you can reach out to, big companies and donors and folks to help support this because, you know, they're, they're looking for these kinds of opportunities where the inequity is so obvious that you, you really need to step in and do it. And I think the second argument specifically, though, to the provosts and presidents of those schools is, you know, if you want to be cynical about this, it's a recruitment play. Like, you know, when I, in my esports talk, I've got this, this slide with the Willie Sutton, the famous bank robber. And who who was asked why do you rob banks? And he says, because that's where the money is, money is. right? <laughs> you know, why do you want to be in esports? Because that's where your students are. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's where the high schools are. Like if you want to continue to function as a university and recruit and build your brand and find people who want to go there, dude, you got to be doing esports because from 18 to 35 year olds watch more esports or video games than any other sport combined add up football, baseball, basketball, add them all up. They spend more time on a weekly basis watching esports. Like if you think they're looking at your pamphlet you're sending out, you are sorely mistaken. They're not looking at what you mail them. They're using ad blockers. Like this is where you get your brand in front of people. And, And I think that's the cynical approach to those schools. Like this is just, this just is about doing business, doing what you do.
1: Well said, well said. I, 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 I wanted you to say that. And I want—I didn't want you to pull any punches because I know how you feel. That's why I said it. That's why I set it up that way. You're like tee it up for me. Yes, I'm bo- angry. Yes, yes, yeah. both of you. That's why I was like, I, I, I don't want to say it. I'm gonna let them say it. And and so we're gonna have to bring them back because one of the things that I think is gonna be interesting in the next six to nine months, while you while you speak that way, is so passionately and such a champion of D&I, What I like to see next, and I know what's gonna <laughs> happen, is the collaboration piece of a Miami U and a Florida Memorial and some of the other HBCUs in terms of looking at how we connect the dots and how we give our students of color at HBCUs an opportunity to create a pathway. And one of the things I think we we, we kind of didn't talk about before is the master class p- concept that I do right now. I've given out 91 internships in three years and again, pathways for students, but now students of color and women. But imagine if a Miami U comes down to a Florida Memorial or vice versa where we do some kind of exchange program or some kind of a collective, you know, learning, a learning model where, you, where you're sharing resources. That's something that hasn't happened yet, but we, we, we need to make it happen because you are two people that, are, that champion this. And we're going to say this live now that I'm going to make a commitment to Florida Memorial to do something with Miami U this upcoming year. Uh, so we have all summer to think about that, but we need to do that and be the leaders of it. because. I can't wait for permission. I'm not going to wait to do something. We all have the opportunity, right. and we all have the the green light from our administrators to do this thing right. And so I'm I'm looking for you to make that commitment. I'm talking to Joey about it. We're going to talk to um. We're going to talk to you know Boise State out there with Doc Haskell. I mean, there's so right. many amazing people out there, but I'm going to start with you. And so. I'm making a commitment. Are you guys open to doing some kind of a collaboration with Florida Memorial University to really talk about the collaboration between absolutely. TWI yeah. and an HBCU, and One of the leading schools yeah. in the country, if not the leading school in the country, well, it's your school. Hell yeah. I
0: mean, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Right. You know, without, without even blinking. I mean, I'll say yes yeah. to whatever, whatever you want to propose. We can, <clears throat> you know, it's a weird thing about universities. They all sort of think they're competing with each other mm-hmm. and really, they're all very complementary and if they just partnered a little more they would yeah. probably do better amen um, exactly you know so it'd be great to talk about having you know maybe joint teams that are competing or 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 you know uh, our curriculum because it's online you know it can be your curriculum too right, right? it's yeah. it's it's infinitely replicable you know i i i I think, you know, maybe having camps where people come back and forth. I would love to get our students down there, mostly because my parents live in Florida. What's oh. <laughs> that weather <laughs> down in Miami? So I, I think there is. There's a lot we can do. And I will say our program um, is very, very flexible. So, yeah. you know, there's there's pretty much nothing we can't do as long as it's legal in the state of Ohio.
1: <laughs> Illegal in the state of Ohio.
0: Which, you know, sometimes we're on the edge there. I'm just saying. Yeah.
1: Well well I wanna, I wanted to say thank you again for introducing me to another superstar who I'm going to interview right after this, Lindsey Grace. He's a superstar, African American game design. I mean, he's just phenomenal. And there's so many people in this space in academia unless you know that space that, that go unnoticed and, and not are unher- unheralded. And I, I'm excited about having a platform like having a podcast here. Or where I can talk about esports, Future Eye, Network, Innovation, Media, Enterprise. We can talk about highlighting academics, folks in academics, because parents and young people don't know that this space exists at a lot of schools. A lot of people yeah. are so focused on the game itself and not only academics or careers. And I can talk to you guys for hours, but we're running up on the hour. It's been amazing talking to you, vibing with you. It's almost like we're just having a conversation between ourselves. That's just how we get down when we talk. So, Dr. Phil, Yeah, Okay. I'll I'll do it. I'll do it correctly. Dr. Phil Alexander, but I call him Dr. Phil (laughs) because it sounds dope. (laughs) And Dr. Glenn Platt uh, from Miami University. Thank you so much for joining us today. We feel blessed and privileged to have you. It's just been an amazing conversation. I think there's more, more, more jewels to be dropped. And I think Glenn, one of the things that I loved about, well, both of your conversations, but what's, what's important is to find people that may not look like a person of color or a woman that champion DNI and scream out the top of their lungs from the from the highest mountain, because a lot of times we're not our bro- we we gotta understand we're our brothers keeper. So if 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 there's if someone's hurting my my gay brothers and sisters as a heterosexual, I need to speak out. If someone's hurting our sisters out there, our our women out there, then then men need to speak up. If someone's condemning white men and saying that they're racist or they're this or they're that. Them, the other people of color need to come up and step up and say, hey, wait a minute. When there's racism going on that's affecting the black and the, the Asian community, our non-blacks and Asians need to step up and say, I'm your brother. I'm your keeper. And that's how we need to approach this, this life. And if we do that in all aspects of our life, we will be better off as human beings. Amen.
0: Thank well, thanks set. for having us, Mark. You know, Dr. Yeah, uh, so much. Doc- I, I, Dr. Williams, since we're all doing our doctorate yes. here. Dr. <laughs> Williams, you know, I, I, this masterclass thing that you do is is fantastic. It's incredible. It helps build out the ecosystem. You know, the unique things about, about esports and games are a unique thing is it truly is a community. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there you, you can't quite say the same thing about a lot of other sports or a lot of other academic things that go on, but it's a community, you know, we're, we're all brothers and sisters in it. We share more in common with each other than we do with the universities, even that we're at. Right. And Amen. so I think, I think there's a lot of, a lot we owe each other because of that. And, and hopefully we can continue to keep that going forward and please tell Lindsay Grace, I said, hi.
1: Yes, I yeah. will do that. I will do that. And we they're doing that down in Miami, the other <laughs> university in <of> Miami. <laughs> the other Miami. Uh, in, Which, in Miami. You know, we
0: say, we have t-shirts that say Miami was a university before Florida Colorado was a state. state. So just keep oh, that in mind that they yeah. came to it way later than we did. Oh, wow. They just got a better football team.
1: You'll see. And, and it's so funny because a lot of people are like, oh, the Ohio State. But yeah, and they have eSports now. But Miami of all... Miami yeah. you of Ohio has been yeah. doing it yeah. longer and working uh, on it. they should have been talking to them to consult. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm not throwing shade. I'm not throwing shade at my friends at Ohio State. Anyway, one to thanks again to uh, Innovation Media Enterprises, Aaron and Sia. Thank you so much for everything that you've done and you do for me. AJ, brother, thank you so much. And again, I want to remind everyone we have another amazing episode of Dr. Mark's Masterclass coming up. But remember, as I always say before we leave, Every time you could control three things, what you think, what you do and what you say, that's it. You can't control anybody else, but yourself, what you think, what you do, what you say. Thank you so much for my special guest. It is amazing to talk to educators that think like you, that have the same energy and same spirit. And they're not corny. They're not fuddy-duds. They're not, they, they, they not whack. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm excited to, to, to partner and engage with people that think that way. Again, remind yourself again what you think, what you do, what you say. We're out of here. We had a great time. See you soon on another episode of Dr. Mark's Masterclass Podcast. Peace. Thanks for listening to Dr. Mark's Masterclass. I pray you enjoyed yourself today. I had a good time. I don't know about you, but this podcast is part of the eSports FutureWide Podcast Network and is produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and let us know how we're doing by leaving a comment or a review. Class dismissed.